you won't know what's going to honor your health until you you know understood how your body feels until you know how to honor it and treat it with compassion welcome to the juggling the chaos of recovery podcast where we focus on health wellness and overcoming all types of addictions you're in the right place if you're a mom dad friend sibling or caregiver who has a loved one who is or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time when everything seems heavy, I'm here to bring you a real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we are all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling. One thing holds true throughout it all. You can't juggle the chaos without smiling, at least a little bit. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Moira Gorski. So glad that you came back today to listen and you keep coming back and keep writing those reviews and sharing this podcast with others because that is why I started it, is to just share this um, story of hope and um, wellness and health and just taking care of ourselves in the midst of uh, struggles and addictions and all those crazy things in life. So as I have shared with many people after I started this podcast, I said, you know, I'm doing this for others, but I do it for myself too, because I like to learn and I like to hear the stories of hope because my daughter's still in the midst of a struggle. And, um, but I also like to learn about a lot of other things too. So I was excited to be introduced to my guest today, Victoria, because she is an expert on intuitive eating. And Again, if you're in the eating disorder world, they talk about that a lot in some forms of treatment is intuitive eating. And as we talked in the pre-show too, is I think everybody could really learn, you know, don't have to have have an eating disorder recovered. I think everybody can learn uh, about eating intuitively, um, also living their life intuitively. You know, I've talked and shared with many people, um, shared many people on this podcast who have again, intuition and yoga. And just a gal that I just recorded earlier today was talking about grief massage and how just that intuition of what she feels. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Victoria Helly, who is a life uh, health and lifestyle coach and really helps people break free of all those fad diets, guilt over food, and just that overwhelm from eating. And again, really uh, works on um, intuitive eating, being an advocate for that, and uses the power of that intuitive eating in her coaching practice. She helps her clients create sustainable, s- stress-free wellness solutions um, so that they can go on to live vibrant, um, vibrant lives, uh, vibrant health, and have that internal peace. All really good stuff. So welcome today, Victoria. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I am so glad you are here too. And um, as we start out, I always ask everybody their story and everybody, um, it seems like everybody has a story to share and you are no exception and, um, have come through, uh, recovery from an eating disorder yourself. So I'd love for you to start sharing, uh, start there by sharing your story, of um, your struggle and really how, um, again, we don't have, we don't have all day, but, um, you know, cause some people will say, wow, that's a lot to share, but, you know, kind of what you learned, um, just some nuggets from that that story that you feel could be really helpful for those um, that are listening and just how it led you to what you're doing today. Sure, sure. So yeah, so um, just the kind of bullet points of my story, because like you said, like eating disorders really and disordered eating 
Um, and that's the other thing too, I want to mention, it doesn't always have to be something that's labeled as an eating disorder. It can also be disordered eating, which can then manifest into more, you know, into an eating disorder. And that was kind of my progress, but it really starts, you know, young. And, um, for me, it did, especially, I remember I was built bigger, like just more dense. Like I was, I was built like a tiny little football player. <laughs> like that's when I was a, when I was a baby, like I was just built very dense and still am to this day. But try telling, you know, a 12-year-old girl when she sees all of her friends, you know, tiny and stick thin, who's built like a massive muscular football player with some extra padding on her, you know, that that's normal. And it doesn't feel that way when you're going through that experience. So, I mean, I remember as young as in kindergarten, um, you know, my mom pointing out that I had roles. And bless her heart, like everybody's comes from different stages. And, you know, I know she got, was raised in an environment with her mom, my grandmother, that was also very critical on her body. So I'm not blaming parents or caretakers or anything like that, um, that I ended up with an eating disorder with disordered eating. It's just the way it manifested my own, um, my own shame about my body. But I remember being young and being built bigger, having these rolls on my stomach and then going to a nutritionist when I was sometime in like kindergarten, first grade, um, because my parents just wanted to make sure that I wasn't on the path of, you know, young obesity or anything like that. So it was always a strange thing for my relationship with food. I'd love to eat, but then here I was in a nutritionist office at age, you know, six, seven, eight, picking out plastic food. Okay. This is good food. Okay. This is bad food. Okay. This is good food. Okay. This is bad food and labeling it like that. And it didn't really sink into me until I started to get bullied older at an older age in middle school. And when I was about 12 or 13, I remember, I think it was about 12. I had walked up to a group of people at the lunch table and one of the people that I thought was a friend of mine, apparently wasn't, or made this clear that he wasn't a friend of mine at this time, came up to me and in front of all of his guy friends said, hey, you have more rolls than a jelly donut factory, and then walked away. And I didn't understand what it meant for like a first few minutes. And then I really started to understand and I just went into the bathroom and started crying. And, um, you know, again, feeling different already feeling bigger built bigger i reached my full height of five nine by the age of 12 or 13 so i was just built differently and i was growing into my body like you know young women and men do um but i didn't understand why i would get bullied for something of just the way i was just the way i was built um so transitioning into high school then I remember telling myself that summer from middle school to high school, because right, like that transition to high school, everyone's like, I'm going to be a different person. I'm going to walk into high school and no one's going to know who I am. And truly, that's what I, I aim to do. I did not want to be the self that I was born as. I wanted to be a different person. And I lost about 30 pounds over that summer just by running and, and really doing, I had lean cuisines every day and the, you know, frozen meal and really monitored and budgeted my calories and, and just wanted to look like the girls on the magazine, wanted to look like my peers, wanting to look like a body that I was not. And I eventually got to that point, but, um, here's what happens when you lose weight, our culture reinforces it by saying, you, you look so good. Did you lose weight? You look amazing. Oh my gosh, did you lose weight? And then that becomes the feature of getting attention and getting um, affirmation from your peers, from your group of people around you. And I thought, oh, oh, they like me now because I'm skinny. Okay, I'm going to keep this going. 
And that's really what kicked it off. And then it started to diffuse in with athletics. And this actually have there's a lot of eating disorders in the athletic realm too. I started to play at a very competitive level of volleyball at that age, around 14, 15. So my freshman year, right when I dropped all that weight. And that was also reinforced in my athletic environment that I needed to be a certain weight to perform well and blah, blah, blah. And they, they, they basically required me to lose even more weight than I already had. Um, and getting to a point where it was just really unhealthy. And that's when my doctor, you know, had a conversation with my mom and was saying, Hey, you know, she's starting to drop weight really quickly. What's going on. And I remember at that point, um, it was so hard because I felt like I was found out quote unquote, like of what was going on. Um, and I was made wrong for it. And I didn't understand that losing weight was a wrong thing in the first place. Like I, again, I was being validated for it societally and with my friends and, um, there I felt like, Oh, Oh, what I was doing is wrong. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well now, now I'm found out now I can't continue to be this way and get friends this way. Oh my gosh, I can't get validation this way. And it felt like I was losing this new identity, this new bright and shiny identity that I had worked so hard to form. I felt like it was getting pulled away from me. So I remember my mom would have daily weigh-ins with me in the morning and I would chug water in my room without her seeing just to, just to top off a few extra pounds so she wouldn't know. And um, I remember doing that for years, for, the, for like at least two years in high school. And then it came to the point where that deficit kept creeping up and making me really tired. And I couldn't, I couldn't perform on the volleyball court. My muscles were giving out on me. Um, I, I couldn't practice as long as I wanted to, and I couldn't jump as high as I wanted to. My body just wasn't getting the nutrients it needed. And it was at that point, and this was kind of like whatever you want to call it, a God or universe thing. I was connected to somebody that, um, was a mentor and had become, become a mentor of mine later on in life. But I was connected with somebody who was a different coach at a different club. And, um, I remember meeting with him out to lunch one day and we sat down and that's like, that was like my worst fear was sitting down to lunch with anybody. Cause I didn't want them to notice what I was doing with my food, how I was cutting it up and moving it aside, making it look like I ate something. So I remember sitting down at lunch with him feeling totally exposed and vulnerable. And he sits down and he's just, I just watched him watching him eat and it's the most joyful experience for him. He's trying some of my food. He's eating all these different things. He's like laughing and joyfully just, he's like, Oh, this flavor of this is so good. And it was the first time I was able to see somebody just truly like eat with fun. And like, it was like, I was watching a toddler eat and it was the most fun experience ever to see that in an adult. And it was so unique and different to me. Now, I didn't feel like I had the courage or strength to embrace that type of lifestyle or eating at that point, and it took me a long time to get to the point I am now, but um, I'm happy to say at the end of the story now, I feel like I am that person that, it, that um, you know, enjoys food like a toddler and really just lights up at the flavors and the experience and the culture of trying foods and how it's nourishing my body, but it took a while to get to that point. So... I wasn't in an, in any kind of eating disorder facility. It didn't get to that point, but it did get to the point where, you know, I had that moment where I saw what an actual intuitive eater looks like modeled in front of me and knowing, Hey, I want that. I'm going to keep trying to do that. And I'm going to keep trying to practice nourishing my body. And it took a long course because I didn't go into a set program or anything. It just took a lot of trial and error 
And, um, you know, as we were talking about too, Moira, like on our pre-interview, you know, it, this thoughts, these, the disordered eating thoughts still come up to this day. They never go away. It's just being comfortable knowing that you have the toolbox to handle those situations or those thoughts when they do come up. I recently had an injury to my knee, tore my ACL, and then broke my kneecap on top of it, put me in a, a giant leg brace for months. Have I've had to be very inactive, haven't been able to exercise. I've had to eat differently to nourish my leg. And it started to bring up a lot of those disordered eating thoughts of, oh, I should really budget my calories. I'm not moving. What am I going to do? Oh my gosh, what if I get fat? And all these fat phobic kind of thoughts started to come back up. And it made me realize like, ah, there's more work to be done. And this is something I can't let my guard down completely on ever. And that's okay. I'm okay with that because that's who I am. And I'm back to that little girl. I'm not trying to be somebody else anymore. Like I'm back to that little toddler who ate joyfully, who, you know, who nourishes her body. And that's the essence of intuitive eating. And we can get a little bit more into, you know, what the basics of that are as well. But that's kind of my background story of like how I got to this point and feel free to ask questions if I missed anything or jumped along any path. Cause I know it's a lot to cover in a little yeah. time. No, I think it's really good. Again, very, um, very familiar themes, very familiar things that others have shared. Um, even with my own experience with, um, um, you know, it's, it's that, it's the time of puberty. It's the time of our bodies changing as, I mean, I know the guys change, but it seems like the girls really go through, you know, a lot of changing and, um, you know, getting their breasts and, you know, just things just really, really changing. And, um, and I have four children and they've gone through, well, one's just finishing up high school, but just that peer pressure and, you know, that, that picture of what we're supposed to look like, right? But who's making that? I mean, who's the judge and the jury of that? You know, that's the the issue a lot of times. Is like, who's making that ideal? I heard that from my daughter as she lost some weight in high school when she was not feeling well and she happened to lose a little weight. And she said, yeah, people were saying, oh, you look great. And it is, it's that reinforcement that you know, we even still do today, right? As adults. And, um, I've had to learn about that of, uh, sometimes it's not like, Hey, you look great, but like, Hey, wow. How are you doing? And your hair is beautiful or whatever. Just being really careful about how you say, how you greet people, you know, absolutely, or like, Hey, your energy is really vibrant today. Or, Hey, like your smile is just glowing or different things like that. Or like, you know, Hey, I really appreciate um, you know, the way you handle the, just other things that are commented outside of appearance are so important because those are the things that, um, like kind of are the underlying current of that diet culture. That's so pervasive that really is like, you know, that's why the intuitive eating, it's not a diet, it's a lifestyle. It's, it's something that's really just about getting back to the basics of how we used to always nourish ourselves and get out of that mindset of what the diet culture dieting mentality has all taught us about appearance-based stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, furthermore, you know, as, as we know, for those of us who've experienced an eating disorder or been around other people or been caretakers for people with eating disorders, skinny does not mean healthy. Dieting, losing weight does not mean you're healthy. And those things get mixed a lot. Um, and same thing with fitness, being fit, having a six pack does not mean you're healthy. 
you can have a six pack and be very, very, very unhealthy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. So, um, yeah. And these are the things that aren't discussed about in, in this culture that we're in, in this society that we're in. Um, and men experience it too, but I think women are bombarded a lot more in terms of losing weight and losing body fat. And we're actually the ones of the two genders that need more body fat to function. We need more essential body fat. Our brains literally require a higher percent of essential body fat than a man says. Our, you know, our breast tissue, our body is geared to carry more fat. So why is the culture telling us that we need to be smaller? And Mm -hmm. why is, why is the, you know, the other thing about diet culture too, it takes up so much time and mental energy to be focused on your weight and what you're eating and if it's good or bad or any of these things, how could you ever step into your dreams and goals and what you want to accomplish in this lifetime or who you want to inspire if you're constantly thinking about making yourself smaller? Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, again, I've heard it, I've heard it a lot and um, um, it's so, it's so true. And just having that, um, I mean, it's hard, but having that ease of life, like you said, I love that. I love that visual that you gave of like a toddler who just eats, you know, and they're messy. It doesn't matter. They don't, you know, we had a family gathering here last weekend and my um, sister-in-law's, you know, daughter, yeah, sitting there on the, she, (laughs) she loves salsa. So they just put some salsa and she's just eating it with a little spoon and it's like all over the place. We're all laughing at her, but she loves it. And like, yeah. it doesn't matter if she's eating salsa, you know, and, and that she's messy and having that, um, again, joy of, um, enjoying our food is just, it's, it's a wonderful thing to, again, think of that visual and try to try to get there. Um, I say, because I mean, I, I, I love my husband and I love food too, or, you know, I love to eat, but it, I, I mean, there were so many things that you said in there that, that popped up because I know, again, with my own eating disorder, again, I, did, I had it in college and I didn't need to seek outside uh, treatment help either. And, but I, you know, as I got happier in my life and as I moved on to my career and I was finding what I was passionate about, you know, I was happier. And so things were, I didn't have that. Um, I didn't have a lot of those issues. And so it kind of like went away, right? And I got healthier and all that. But with my wellness business, um, I'll just take a little sidelight here. But in my wellness business and I that I've been involved with for 20 years, and I represent a product line, Shackley products, and we have all kinds of things for health. And one year we were talking about weight loss. I mean, over 65% of Americans are overweight or obese. And, you know, that can be just losing, again, just in a normal, if you will, normal, I mean, just losing a little bit of weight can make a big impact on your health, your blood pressure, your cholesterol. And so we were talking about that, like, how can we help people if they have a weight issue? And again, this is off of, you know, but again, I think it's important because, you know, we were talking about it on, they were talking about it at state, we were at a convention and some doctors were up there and just talking about how we can help them. And they encouraged us to go make some goals. And if we had some, you know, health goals, if it's maybe just walking a little better or eating more vegetables, or maybe we had some weight to lose or things like that. So they said, go in during our break at the expo and just hop in those curtain little rooms and, and weigh yourself and put that goal up. And, and I was like, yay, see you after lunch. And I got to tell you, I still, well, not, this was many years ago. 
But I was sitting in my seat and I started to sweat. And I was like, mm, I don't know if I could do that. So again, the whole meeting's over. So then we go walk to the expo and I, I ran into a gal. Again, this is really diverting here, but I ran into Jackie McCoy who spoke on the stage. And Jackie McCoy, who I hope to interview, um, she's become a friend of mine, but she was the first um, extreme makeover weight loss edition gal wow. that lost over 100 pounds. And her parents happened to be Shackley distributors. So she was coming to share her story. And um, it was beautiful and poignant from the stage. But I ran into her and I thanked her for it. I just loved her talk. And I said that I was helping people, again, get healthier and things like that. And she goes, make sure when you talk to them, you don't just talk about what food did you eat or, you know, that kind of thing, but talk about the emotions behind it. And we had that chat about it. I'm like, okay, great, thanks. On and on, I go to the expo. And it was like one of those movies, you know, when the room starts spinning around. <laughs> and I was like, got in there and I was like, I don't think I can do this. And I'm like, what is this all about? I mean, I was in my mid, I, I don't know, I'd had all my kids. I was in my mid 30s, maybe 40s. I was like, what is going on? And I ran into some friends and I shared with them and I was like, so like, I was just, I said, I don't think I can do it. I can't step on a scale. Like, I don't want to step on a scale. And I don't, you know, she's like, what are you doing? They said, what are you doing? That's like fear. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know where this is coming from, but I don't know. And so we supported each other. We hopped in that little uh, curtained room. They all, they both shared about their issues with with weight and their body and sexual trauma and like abuse. I mean, uh, things I didn't know, but like that made them not love themselves for who they were. Yeah. And it was a beautiful moment that I'll never forget. But the point of it is, <laughs> except for all of it, is that it triggered, I was well past my eating disorder, but something triggered in me that when I was in that meeting, I was like, oh my gosh, it brought me back to those days and like all that. So you know, I really want to put some light on that too, that, you know, things can happen. You're well past it. You're helping people. You're in a beautifully lovely, healthy space and you too can get triggered. Absolutely. You know, and I'm have to go, yeah. And have to go back to, again, having what's in your toolbox that can really, really help. And I'm, you. I'm so grateful for, you know, the fact that I had this injury happen because it really, helped me look at and take another deep look at my life and look at, okay, how am I still reinforcing some of these old, old behaviors or patterns of thinking about my weight and my worth and like how much I exercise, you know, cause eating disorders can take that form too of over exercising. Um, and I think partially it was that, like, I, I feel like I had switched, you know, eating was great. I was intuitive eating, but then the exercise started to ramp up. So in a way, this kind of had me relook at from a new perspective with all these new tools that I have now and compassion for myself and look at my situation and be like, Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. This is still going on. I'm still worried about not being able to exercise. I'm still getting frantic about this. I'm, and then now I'm like excited to do that work because previously I'd be like, Oh my gosh, I do not want to, I don't want to dive into that, that, uh, Pandora's box right now. But now I'm like, okay, this is good because the more I do my work, the more I can share with my clients and share my experience like I am now. But, um, yeah, it's part of that intuitive eating process. And again, I should mention intuitive eating isn't something you just hop into right away and eating disorder recovery. If you're in a program, it's usually the end step 
Um, but there's a lot of things that have to happen, like the refeeding stage and a lot of other things that go along in that recovery process. And then intuitive eating is kind of like the sustainable end goal for people in eating disorder recovery, or like we mentioned at the beginning of this, this uh, episode, for everybody. It should really be the way that we eat for the most part if we can, and we have that intuitive ability to sense. Now there's some medical conditions that get in the way of tasting food or noticing when you're actually full or not, because that is a big part of intuitive eating. And it's not for everybody, but for the most general public, um, that are healthy and considered healthy and don't have like pre-existing medical conditions that get in the way, this is ultimately where you want to be because it starts with, you know, rejecting the diet mentality. Like we talked about part of that is throwing out the scale because the scale really doesn't tell us that much at all. As women, especially we fluctuate anywhere from zero to 10 pounds during our, a month during hormonal fluctuations. Um, if we ate carbs yesterday, our carbs actually help, uh, your body will retain extra water. So a lot of people will like have a piece of pizza and then get on the scale the next day. And they're like, Oh my gosh, I gained five pounds from this piece of pizza. It's like, no, 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 that's guaranteed all water. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's not instant fat. Your body doesn't work that way. Um, so part of it is that you get rid of the scale. You, you unfollow those Instagram accounts that make you feel shame around your body. Um, you accept that you have your own body set type set point. Each of us has a different point that our body will fight to get to in terms of weight and body composition. And it looks so different for everybody. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. What looks, what's a set point for you might be a completely different set point for me. And that's the point at which your body's going to fight to get back to that weight, to that composition, no matter how hard you try. So it's about accepting that and developing compassion around that, respecting your hunger and your fullness cues, um, checking in with how your body's feeling. And like you mentioned before, a lot of these weight issues can come from sexual trauma, can come from really traumatic experiences that take you out of your body because you almost disassociate when you go through trauma. And that can be big T trauma, like a sexual assault or sexual molestation or little T trauma, like repetitive encounters with a narcissist or a codependent relationship, things like that, um, that over time, you know, affect you in that way. And you disassociate and you forget how to feel your own body. And that becomes a scary place. So there may be, you know, some therapy and counseling that goes alongside this, if that's the case, if you've experienced some trauma, but it's feeling those hunger cues, noticing like, am I actually hungry? Am I just bored? Okay, I'm eating now. Am I full yet? Am I full yet? And just doing those little check-ins. And um, like I said, a toddler, they stop eating when they're full. They don't like eat till they're about to throw up unless it's something super delicious. Sometimes they do. We've all gotten to that. Right. Right. (laughs) Thanksgiving time, you know, when you have that piece of pie, when you don't really need the piece of pie, but, um, so you've mentioned a bunch of different things that are kind of like intuitive eating. Is -hmm. there kind of like a general, like top five things to think about? Like when you address, you know, you come to your meal or how, how would you, again, cause you mentioned lots of things, but is there kind of like, like those, you know, hierarchies sure. of things or, there's, how, there's you essentially know, 10 principles that you follow in intuitive. Oh, okay. And the first one starts with rejecting the diet mentality and diet culture. So that involves, like I said, a lot of things as far as like throwing out the scale on following Instagram or social media accounts that make you feel bad about your body. So it's just rejecting the diet mentality overall, which is a big step. And then it moves to honoring your hunger and learning to feel out um, when you're actually hungry and respecting that. 
don't just chug water to make it go away or drink a coffee to make your hunger go away. Respect that hunger because you need to nourish that feeling in your body. You need to, the body needs to know that you are going to respect what it's telling you it needs. That's the part that it's, it's your body needs to relearn that you're going to actually feed it when it says, Hey, 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 I'm hungry. Feed me, feed me. It needs to know that food's going to come. So you have to start to honor that hunger. Then the third step is to make peace with food. And that really, um, you know, just making peace with all food. There's, it just, there's no good food or bad food. It's just food. There's some foods that are less nutrient dense and there's some foods that are more nutrient dense. And then it goes into challenging the food police. So some of those rules and regulations that we've created in our mind, um, like for example, carbs are bad or fat is bad. Or if I eat this carb, I'm going to gain X amount of weight. It's challenging those food police rules that we've kind of created in our minds over time and really looking if they're actually realistic. Um, And then it goes to respecting your fullness, understanding the feeling of satiety, of not overfull, like when you've binged, but just a really good feeling of contentness. And, um, you know, it takes some exploration to find that balance for each person. And then it's um, discovering satisfaction. And this is really, this is where some of the play starts to come and the enjoyment and joy comes into eating. Um, Different things are going to satisfy you at different points. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be right now. I'm kind of like thinking about a piece of chocolate sounds really good and satisfying. If somebody told me, here's a raw cacao nib, I'd be like, nah, doesn't sound as, as satisfying right now. So you start to find what foods give you joy. What are quote unquote play foods, like foods that, you know, aren't super nutrient dense, but you enjoy them. And it br- brings you satisfaction because there's different types of hunger. We have emotional hunger. We have physical hunger. So all these different pieces of our hunger need to be satisfied in one way or another. Um, and then there's honoring your feelings without food. So looking into how we're coping with our emotions and making sure we're, we're not using food as a, you know, as something to comfort us when we're emotionally distraught or using it as a control mechanism when we feel out of control. So just looking at how how we can emotionally dive into what we're what we're dealing with on a daily basis emotionally how we're feeling and looking at food is not a solution sure does that mean you can have ice cream when you're sad from time to time go for it but don't rely on it as a band-aid for that underlying sadness um body respect is the next step so respecting what your body looks like and is meant to look like not what you're trying to force it to look like um because again, we're constantly shown this ideal image of what our body is supposed to be as a woman, especially it's supposed to be, you know, have this type of shape or now there's the whole fitness thing where it's like, you're supposed to have six packs all of a sudden now. So we went away from the skinny model. Now everyone's supposed to have giant butts and six packs. And it's like, okay, that's a, a crazy combination because your butt has some fat in it, but then you want super lean abs. That's not realistic for people's body types. So respecting where your body's at, then it goes into exercising or joyful movement. I like to call it joyful movement um, because it's about finding the activities that bring you joy and not making exercise a punishment for overeating or for, you know, just a punishment overall. I've, that's something that I, you know, fell into as well and would almost utilize that as a, a balancing tool for how much I'd eat one day. And, um, 
it's more societally accepted, right? Especially right now with fitness kind of being in an upswing trend, it's more accepted to be like, Hey, I'm going to spend two hours at the gym. So, um, it's about feeling the difference with exercise and intuitively honoring what your body feels like it wants to do. I don't know if this happens to you, Moira, but some days like I'll schedule like a, a run in my calendar and then that day happens and I'm like, I do not feel like running at all today. Like nothing in my body is telling me that running feels good right now. <laughs> and it's not about like, Hey, I'm lazy or this is an excuse. It's like, okay, what can I dance instead? Can I do something that's going to still bring me some body movement, but be more joyful and still respect what my body's asking for? Maybe it feels like it needs more stretching. Um, so that's what that step's really about is, is starting to embrace this theory more into movement and exercise. And then the last step is honoring your health. And that's when you can start to get a little bit more specific about ratios of more nutritious, nutrient-dense foods versus less nutrient-dense foods. That's where that's the last step. And everyone wants to hop there and be like, okay, well, I can only eat 80% good foods and whole foods and then 20%, you know, junk foods. It's like, no, 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 that's the last step for a reason because we have to go and deprogram all of these other pieces first before we can decide what's going to honor your health. You won't know what's going to honor your health until you've you know, understood how your body feels until you know how to honor it and treat it with compassion and all those things. So, um, health is definitely this whole process of intuitive eating and intuitive health because it's truly fitness as well. And movement it's, it's a journey. It's not like a straight line. There's ups and downs and it's just, it's being curious. It, you have to bring a level of curiosity into the equation, um, because you're constantly checking in with yourself and you learn so much about yourself in the process from your emotions to how you, how your thoughts patterns happen to how your body reacts to certain things. It's just a constant learning. And it's really cool because you feel very, um, like, like you've always, like you're coming back to who you've always been. That's mm -hmm. what it feels like. And that's such a unifying feeling because ultimately in life, that's our whole search for meaning. Meaning is really a search for what we've always had um, and how we've always been. It's not about picking things up and packing them on. It's about putting things down and realizing what's already been there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome uh, because I could just relate to pretty much all of it. I mean, as I, again, <laughs> I mean, I can, I was like, okay, yep. I get that. Yep. I understand that. I mean, and I've seen that progression and I also, like that you said, you know, the number 10 is the final one, um, because I think that I agree with you that some people just want to get there. Um, and I also think that even just thinking back to that little triggering moment that I talked about and just some other things that I reflected back that had happened, I think I hadn't really gotten some of these other things really worked out again and, um, and thought about and making peace with the food and, um, you know, I've had a lot of those things that you talked about, the, you know, we go for a 10 mile run because, you know, we, ha we want to with our friends, but, you know, we also know that we didn't eat so well yesterday. So we're going to just put a little extra time in or yeah. whatever. So, um, really good. That's why I wanted John. Cause I wanted to learn about this. Cause I knew I'm like, wow, this really just, it just makes a lot of sense. And I hope that others who are listening, it helps them um, I mean, really what it told me was we should all have a journal with us when we eat or after we eat. And I wondered if that's part of your coaching is to have people journal, you know, before they eat, while they're eating or, you know, so that you can and 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 pick these things to to journal about. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a part of what I incorporate for some people because a lot of my approach is very um, personalized and some people just it, that even that step can be overwhelming for them. Um, and that's okay. That's where they're at. And part of the coaching process is just always meeting everybody where they're at. And it, it always looks different, but one amazing, amazing tool I have found and utilize and send a lot of my clients is this intuitive eating workbook. Um, and it is by Evelyn tribal and Elise Reich. And those two are pretty much the, I, they're like the, the founding, sisters of, uh, of intuitive eating really. And they've come up with this amazing workbook with all those principles that you work through chapter by chapter with logs that you can journal through. And, um, that's what I utilize for a lot of my clients too. It's an amazing resource. So if this is something you want to dive into for yourself, for somebody that you love and want to help with, um, this is a great resource and it's Honestly, also great for, I know your podcast is also aimed around not just eating disorders, but addictions as well. There's a lot in this workbook that um, addresses a lot of the underlying, you know, emotional things that go on with addiction as well. So it's a good resource for that too. Yeah, I think I've seen that. I think I've seen that workbook before in my home. So um, again, I've really loved to embrace, or I've come to embrace journaling um, I had a podcast earlier on with kind of that's p- part of my morning routine. I like the idea of a workbook because you can really get in there and not just a book that you're reading, but you know something that you're also working on based on what you read and you learned, then you can really apply, you know, apply it. Yeah. And like I s- you said, I think it could really be helpful for any addictions, any, you know, be it that it's somebody that has a specific diagnosed eating disorder, but also just somebody that might just not be feeling so great about, about themselves. And they have a little bit of that disordered, you know, a little bit or a lot of bit of that disordered eating, you know, cause I would, another thing that came up like, cause that athletic theme has come up many times as I've interviewed people that a athlete and um you know an injury happened and then their identity was gone and then they had to control something and so but also that idea of just that the mixed messages like you know you're supposed to be an athlete and maybe you could be slimmer because you're tall right so a tall slim person you'd think would be really good at volleyball so that's what they're promoting but then in the end you're not getting enough nutrients. So you don't even have enough energy and sustainability to perform like an athlete. So um, do you work with, do you work with athletes a lot or is that kind of a niche? Yeah, I've actually, so I I used to coach volleyball myself and still um, a lot of the programs that I used to run, there was one called um, discovery and it was really about discovering yourself. And a lot of those pieces we would talk about, would be like about intuitive eating and intuitive health and bringing that into the picture because um, other clubs or other, you know, coaches had been kind of giving them, like you said, like kind of mixed messaging around like what your body should look like or how you should eat or how you need to track calories or what you need to eat to perform. or you need this many carbs and blah, 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 blah. And you're so confused as a young girl or, or a boy growing up and hearing these messages, you're like, okay, Okay. And then as you start to develop as an athlete, you start to develop your musculature in the sport that you're in. And then that's a whole nother thing you have to get used to because you're like, okay, now on top of this, I'm also built like, like bulky, like a dude. Okay. Now I gotta get used to that. 
but that's like more so the, the judgmental voice around it really is just helping your sport, how you function in your sport. But I do work with a lot of athletes because of that. I've worked with a lot of teenage athletes, but also um, ex-college athletes, because when they come out of their sport, when they finish playing their collegiate level sport, they've always been eating to perform or eating in a certain manner. And it's been very regimented and they've forgotten how to just eat to eat and nourish their bodies. It's it was never about that. It was eating to perform and optimization and longevity are two very different sides of the spectrum. You can eat to optimize your performance, but that looks very, very different than eating to live a really long, healthy life because for optimizing performance is trying to get energy really quickly, build things really quickly. You're kind of burning out your body. Longevity is you're playing the slow game. You're, you're more of the long marathon runner where you're just playing that low, low and slow game. Um, so a lot of who I work with are athletes and working around that dysmorphia because diet culture also in the fitness industry and at, in college athletics, um, like tracking macros, for example, seems harmless. Macros are your proteins, your carbs, your, you know, your fats seems harmless, but to somebody with previous disordered eating or an eating disorder, it's just like an upgraded quote unquote version of that eating disorder. That's more quote unquote socially acceptable. So it's something that's really has to be dealt with very cautiously, especially in that realm of fitness, because yes, it does serve a purpose for performance, but let's look at the end goal here. How can we get you to sustainably eat and feel very happy and healthy and still perform well after your sport um, and still love where you're at after your sport and love that the fact that especially as women, our bodies are going to change continuously throughout the rest of our lives. It's just what our bodies do. Um, we're built to be constantly changing almost each decade, even half decade, I'd say. Um, your body changes drastically. So you have to get used to that process of your body changing. Yeah. And I think if you think about, you know, like Michael Phelps, right, when he's training for the Olympics, I mean, he's in the pool probably six, seven hours a day. And I've heard that there's some very high number of calories that he consumes every day. Well, that's because, like you said, he's trying to optimize his performance and his endurance and his stamina for that, for the Olympics. And right. then when that's not happening, right, he doesn't need to eat that and he probably isn't in the pool. I know we, I follow him on Instagram or Mrs. Michael Phelps. I follow her and I think they've just had their second kid or third kid or something. Oh, wow. It's a cute Instagram to follow. So, but, um, but yeah, it doesn't, you don't need the same type of fuel. And even when I was training for marathons, you know, I knew that, I mean, I ate differently than, than I eat now because I needed that, you know, um, again, I wish I knew a little bit more about intuitive eating when I was training for marathons because that would have helped too. But, um, but then that another thing it made me think of, because I wanted to ask you this today is that all of those things, and maybe those are the fad diets that you speak of, but like the things like macros, or I'm a keto, or I'm a, I'm a, I'm an intermittent fasting, or I'm a vegetarian, or I'm a vegan, or I'm a this, or I'm a pescatarian. I'm like, what? And <laughs> I think sometimes it's like, is it just, is it just a, a cover up for, like you said, whatever you said so brilliantly, like, is it just a cover up for another way thing that you're controlling? You know? Yeah. So there's another piece to this that, that, um, you know, I don't know, have you heard of orthorexia before? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So orthorexia, and that's kind of what it turns into. Um, it's, it's the obsession with eating clean, quote unquote, or eating healthy. 
And that looks different depending on what diet or, you know, lifestyle diet or whatever you want to call it, keto, your thing that you're subscribing to, you know, there's a set of rules and regimens around that. So it is, I mean, it's something, again, each of those diets serve a purpose for a short amount of time, but no, it isn't. The research does not say that eating a keto diet. And if you look closely again, at, at unbiased, um, you know, studies across the board, these diets are not, they're not meant for longevity and sustainability. They're not going to allow your body to survive for a long time in a healthful way, but you may feel great on the, on a diet for the first, uh, you know, 30 days, 60 days, few months, and you might lose that weight, but can your body sustain that? No. And it's just a, it's just an upgraded version of dieting. Just the new Atkins, it's, mm-hmm. you know, cause in the early two thousands and nineties, it was the Atkins diet. And now it's kind of recycled to something else, paleo, or, you know, they're just changing the names around the methods. Right. Um, yeah. Reading more and more site. I'm doing air quotes by right now, like scientific studies around these things that are actually sponsored by the companies that have created them <laughs> themselves. Oh yeah. There's oh. the, it's the pay to play. And we could talk about, you know, a long time about pay to play things. And, um, yeah. But it's true, and I think that there's some um, truth to, um, and this is a discussion for another day. I mean, I think you know sometimes there's some truth to eating for your body type, uh, or or your blood type. I'm sorry, your blood type. You know that because it just seemed to kind of make sense to me. Like I looked at what my blood type was, and in the book, and it says that I tend to be more vegetarian, and and I love, and I I don't, I don't know, I love vegetables but I love Italian sausage and I love shrimp and fish and all that. But I tend to be, you know, and I feel better. Like my body feels better, like digestively energy and stuff like that. And I think there's some truth to, and again, I don't know if it's your blood type or, or what it is exactly, but I think that maybe the point of the whole thing is to find the foods and the way that you eat and the mindset that just help you feel, feel good. Not that yeah. you have the energy to make it through the day and that you're not going to the bathroom all the time or whatever, all those things, but just giving your body, we said that in the last podcast, we were talking about that finding, giving your body what it needs with your food, with your exercise, with your rest, because then your body's going to, like you said, you're getting back to whatever, what did, how did you say that? You get back to what the way that you were or you're what the way- your set point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the blood type diet is actually interesting because I found the same thing. Like uh, my fiance and I tried following that for a little bit to see if there was any differences. And I noticed all the foods that it was recommending for my blood type. I'm an O. Um, my body feels the best on those foods, but there's certain things like it says that are a no, no, like avocados that I have to, I feel really, really great when I eat a ton of avocados. So am I going to not eat avocados because this thing said, no, no, I'm still going to eat them because my body's telling me Hey, this feels really good when you eat avocados. So it's like I think that's the closest, like quote unquote, diet that I'd say is is linked to almost intuitive eating because you'll find that you almost intuitively eat towards your mm-hmm. what you know he recommends as your blood type, which is interesting. Right. That's what I that's what I found as I yeah. looked into it a little bit. And one of the little groups that I had here, one of the women brought that book, and so we had a nice discussion about that. And I, I agree with you. That's perfectly said. I think it's, it seems to be very close to, yeah, the intuitive eating. Um, you know, before we finish up, I, again, another thing that I thought about was, cause I always talk about families and relationships and things like that. And, um, 
um, I know that within, you know, families and friends and things like that, I mean, there can be different, different ideas and different things that are said. And, you know, I just wondered if you, you know, how did your eating disorder, did it impact your relationship with your folks? Um, you know, how do they, um, or even with what you're doing now, I mean, just that kind of relationship piece, because I think that's important. I, I've learned enough from ourselves that, from our situation, that it's not just an isolated case of you have an eating disorder. It really can impact the whole family. So mm-hmm. did, did you find that there was, can you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I mean, initially, it really put a strain on my mom in particular because she was, felt like she had to be the vigilant one for me. Um, and, and really, because I couldn't see when I was crossing those lines or not. I couldn't see like when I was doing something that was like disordered eating or not because it had been my lifestyle for a, a good while at that point. So it definitely put a strain at first. And there was a lot on top of being a high schooler with that whole high school mother-daughter relationship. You add in an eating disorder, which adds in a lot of extra like power in there. Yes. <laughs> that relationship. So I can't say it was an easy relationship at that point in time. But um, over time, I think not only did it help me that she was vigilant and that I accepted her help, but it helped her because again, like she grew up in an environment too, that that was, um, you know, her body type or her body was constantly being, uh, scrupulated and and looked at in that, you know, kind of cautious way. But, um, yeah, I think it helped her to start to develop more body compassion for what I was going through and, and looking at her own patterns as well. So now I would say like, it's interesting because um, now going through the other side and having, you know, I'm, I'm 29 now. So I've had time separated, not living with my mom for a good while. Coming back into a relationship as an adult, I'm realizing now it's my turn to step up and help her in certain ways. And I think that's a really beautiful thing because I've recognized certain language that she uses and certain things that she talks about, you know, towards herself that would be things that I used to say about myself or how I used to think about myself. And I can, in a non coachy way, um, you know, help her see that because again, like it's, it's about not crossing those lines. I'm not her mother and nor does she want to seem like her to seem like the daughter in the relationship. So, um, it's definitely playing a fine line, but it's, it's really developing, uh, I'd say a more compassionate relationship between the two of us as we grow in this journey. Um, cause it is a unit thing. And with partners, I mean, previous partners weren't so great with it, which is why I'm not with them. <laughs> but I found an amazing, amazing uh, partner who we're actually getting married in October. Very excited for that. But um, I mean, he's he's also seen me on the, I'd say like recovered or recovering part of the process where, you know, especially with this injury, he's seen that, that like anxiety come up when I wanted to exercise and couldn't. And like, he's nurtured me through that. And he's really created space for me to eat healthfully and not feel judged for wherever I'm at in that, that process and really just accept and, um, love me the way I am, the way I'm built. And, uh, no matter what that looks like, you know, changing throughout the year. So, I think that's a really wonderful thing too, is when you feel loved and accepted by the people that are close in your circle, uh, it really makes the recovery process, um, you not always easier, but I'd say like in my case, a lot easier 
Um, cause I know those that are caretakers are probably, you know, listening to and saying like, you know, we're compassionate too. And that's, like I said, it's not always, sometimes that eating disorder can be really, really stubbornly ingrained, you know, into the psyche and, and that's part of it. Um, but on the back end of this process, it's been wonderful to have people that understand that there are times I'm going to have anxiety about not being able to work out. There are times where I'm going to feel like, oh, I ate a lot yesterday. I don't want to have lunch today or whatever it may be. And to have compassion around that and really stand by me through that experience and, and talk about where those emotions are coming from. And they always stem from not feeling enough or not feeling loved or accepted in the moment. So, right. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it's lovely. sounds like you found a great guy. So congratulations to you. And, um, you know, I think it is, I mean, it does. And what's lovely about what you shared is that you're on, you are on the other side, you're at a healthier place. And so you can have those discussions that might have been pretty difficult before or argumentative as the eating disorder tends to do, right? When it gets challenged, you can have those I'm using the air quotes now, the quote unquote difficult conversations or the things about body image or things like that, but from a compassionate, healthy place, like let's talk about it because it's real, right? Yeah. It happens to all of us. So, so let's talk about it. Let's get it out in the open and Hey, what works for you and what works for you? And oh, by the way, honey, this is not helpful at a point like this, you know, or mom, you know what? You need to be kinder to yourself. Cause you know what? You look great. And I love you regardless or whatever. Um, so I think that that's, that's lovely that you've gotten to that point that, um, again, you have that, that experience. Um, we, we called it in one of the earlier podcasts, we're uh, experts by experience, right? Yeah. So we've yeah. had the experience and we can be compassionate um, and share that love with others. And, um, you know, as we said at the beginning, before we came live, we could probably talk for a long time. So um, we've had a lovely discussion. I know it could go on and on. And I've learned so much from you. Um, and I really, really appreciate your time um, and sharing today. And I know others have found this tremendously valuable. Um, so let's talk about where they can find you. Uh, because uh, people may want to reach out to you and um, learn about your coaching and um, what you do. So where can people find you, Victoria? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I always suggest people friend me on Facebook because I put a ton of content out on Facebook just in general. Um, so friend me on Facebook. It's under Victoria Sydney Helly, and uh, that's H-E-L-L-E. Very awesome German name. <laughs> Everyone's like, is it hell? Is it hell? No, it's Helly. Um, and uh, my website is Be Victorious Coaching. Um, and that so you can actually book a call on there too. I love to just chat and hear where people are at. Even if it doesn't mean that we're going to work together in the future, just book a call. I'd love to chat, see if I can offer any resources at that time, because I know that this is like, especially with eating disorders or with anything in health and wellness, there's so much out there. So it's worth just talking to an actual human and, uh, you know, just having a conversation like we did and just, um, you know, seeing where you're at, seeing if there's anything that I can offer you and vice versa. Cause I always get something amazing out of any call that I have with, you know, people that book a call too. I get a lot of things that I learn about mm -hmm. experiences and people too. So you can book a call on there or uh, friend me on Facebook and I'd be happy to chat with you on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. And I hope that, that people do. Cause again, I think that you're a wealth of information and I'm surprised that you're only 29 because you're quite, uh, you're quite wise. Um, I must say, um, and, and again, sometimes people that have gone through the most, um, you know, a lot of struggles, I think that wisdom comes 
from that struggle too. So, um, but I agree with you. I always say at the end of my podcast too, you know, book a call with me, reach out. I'm happy to talk to you about how you can, again, give your body what it needs in, in a health way or, um, uh, whatever way that might be to help you reclaim your health. I know two and a half, three years ago, I just didn't feel that great. And my health was declining as I was just caring for so many, so much going on in my household. And, um, you know, just like you have, I found tools too, that can help me just feel better and show up differently. And, um, and what you said a lot, you know, just honor, honor the body that God's given us. And um, I think that there's power in finding, again, tools that we can stick in our tool belt that um, can really just help us continue to live, live our best life. So I'll finish up with that, um, with those thoughts. And um, again, thanks for being here, Victoria. I really um, loved it and appreciate it. And I know the, the um, listeners will as well. And um, thanks for coming back and listening. And um, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please leave me a five-star review. Share this podcast with others and make sure you hit the subscribe button. Come on over to Facebook, too. We have a great Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast tribe group, and we'd love to welcome you there. Now, do you have a story to share or know someone that does? Please connect with me. You'll find the link in the show notes, and I'd love to hear from you, hear your story, and feature you on one of the upcoming podcast episodes. And perhaps you are ready to find your way back to you. You'd like to reclaim your health in your life. Send me an email, connect with me, simply moira at gorskywellness.com, or jump over to Instagram and connect with me there as Green Gorski, or you can also find me on Facebook. I'll connect with you and just show you some simple steps and show you a way to reclaim your life and your health today. Thanks for listening. Until next time.